0: had a different message, and this morning I got up and received word that my father had passed away. So that's how I began my day. Everything that you have seen in before this and all our thanksgiving, I genuinely have such a warmth of thanksgiving in my soul. It's, uh, it's a very difficult thing to lose A parent is the first parent I've lost, but I can understand all of you that have walked through these things before. It's one of the things Leslie and I discussed was that this isn't a tragedy. This is a triumph. My dad lived a great life. He poured his life into mine. He deserves a tribute for a job well done. And to think of him being with his Savior is a very, very precious thought for me. So it's a strange way to wake up on a Sunday and have a message that doesn't fit what is going on in my soul. And so I created an entirely new message early this morning. A tribute to an amazing Father. So for those of you that are getting this via podcast, I have a picture of my dad up on the screen, Winston R. Lutie. I, if you've ever heard my World War II series where I brag about my middle name being Winston, it was technically not named after Winston Churchill, I was named after my dad. I'm proud to boast of that right now. Uh, even though during the World War II series, I definitely tried to make it seem like I was named after Winston Churchill. My dad was named after Winston Churchill. August 15th, 1942 to December 26th, 2021. this morning. And I have on the screen a father, the way a father should be. Matthew 7, 8 through 11. Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The, my meditation on this, my dad is such a generous man, and if there was anything I ever requested, which I had to be very watchful to even do it, he would give it. And so my dad, being evil, if you want to say it in the context here, how much more amazing is my Father in heaven? And through my dad, I was introduced to the nature of a father. For some of you that had a rougher go in the fatherhood department, you were introduced to your father maybe sideways, and you might have even had a resistance to your heavenly father because of your earthly father. And I can say genuinely in my case, uh, there was a warm reception to my heavenly father because of my earthly father. Matthew 23, 9, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. That's awkward. So I'm sitting here saying that I have a father who just passed away, and it's, if you were to look at what Jesus says, I'm not supposed to call any man father. Now, here's how I could explain this to you. That first father is a lowercase f, and it, I should say it should be capitalized to a capital F to help you understand this. For there is only one capital F Father, which is in heaven. You see, I, Eric Luce, am a lowercase f father. My dad was a lowercase f father. Our Father in heaven is a capital F. And there is no other capital F Father. There's only one. And that's what's amazing about a lowercase f father, is our job is to reveal the capital. We could say, good luck with that. At the same time, that's what our commission is. It's an amazing one. See, there is only one capital F, Father. Well, there is also only one capital P, Pastor. And so if, you ca- if I called myself a pastor, that would be misleading too, wouldn't it? Because there's really only one good shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. There's only one capital B, Bridegroom. I mean, I'm a bridegroom, but how dare I try and usurp the position of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. There is only one capital H, Husband, Jesus So the rest of us, we fill a role. We're like a placeholder. Like John the Baptist was a friend of the bridegroom. As long as the bridegroom was still off preparing a place, he was a representative of that bridegroom. And when the bridegroom comes, do you remember what he said? I must decrease that he would increase. And that's our role. Our role isn't to take the place. My dad's job wasn't to be the heavenly father to me. It was to hold a place. So introducing the first, that the one that readies the children for the second. Now, many uh, many times over the years, I've talked about firsts and seconds. The Bible is just, you know, rife with them. That's just what the Bible is basically. Even the Bible itself is divided into two: a first and a second. And the second is the one that reveals Jesus. The first is always the predecessor, it's the placeholder, it's the shadow. Galatians 3.24, and the italicized words are added by me. Wherefore the law, which is the first, was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ the second. And so in each of our lives, we have a first that is meant to prepare us for the second. And so if I'm giving a tribute to my dad, my dad was a first in my life. Before I knew my heavenly father, I knew my earthly father. And my earthly father trained me and prepared me to understand the second, the true father, capital F, father. Simple uh, fact, according to scripture, the first cannot save, but he still has a job to do. So, my father, though he isn't my savior, it does not mean he's chopped liver and should be you know, thrown off to the side. He played a role in my life, which is very, very important. And if the more you know me, the more you recognize, if Eric Ludi is a man who was impacted by his father. That is part of who I am. I've oftentimes you know, given a very short list of massive influencers in my life, and my dad's going to be right near the top of that, of a very, very significant influencer. So even though he's not my savior, he did play a role, and he played it very, very well. So what is that job that an earthly father has to do? He must lay a clear picture of the law, the standard, He must supply the vision of what God will, in fact, do. He must be a schoolmaster that brings the children unto Christ. This is what the Old Testament is doing. This is what the law and the prophets are doing. They're preparing us for the greater. They aren't the Savior in and of themselves. You can keep the old covenant uh, law, but it's not going to save you. It doesn't mean it's not worth anything or it doesn't have value in the process. It's preparing us to recognize and to understand the one who follows And so when an earthly father is doing his job, he recognizes, just as John the the Baptist says, I am not the Christ, but I'm a forerunner of him. And that's every parent's job right there. I'm not your savior, but the way I'm interacting with you, the way I'm loving you, the way I'm serving you, this is a forerunner to your soul to help you understand a heavenly parent. What does it mean to father? So this is sort of the boring definition of it. I'll, I'll expand it a little. Simply put, to supply authoritative order, protection, provision, discipline, and direction to the lives of children. You know, that's just that's true. But boy, there's something more meaty that I want us to grab a hold of. But it is far more than that. Lowercase f fatherhood was built to reveal something much bigger. How about this? It's meant to showcase the revelation of the kingdom of God and his magnificent glory. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that as a parent, as a father, I can reveal the kingdom of heaven to my kids? Now, if you asked me, so Eric, are you doing it well? Boy, we as fathers can be our harshest critics too. And we can usually see what we're doing wrong and where we're failing as opposed to where we're doing it Right. And so that's a hard one to answer. You know, any father, we really don't want to have to answer that question of how well we're doing this because we know we could do better. How about that? It's like asking someone about their prayer life. So how's your prayer life? Well, your prayer life could always increase. It could always improve. And that's the same with fatherhood. But it's the same with basically any other role we could play too. But that's our grand commission. So listen to this definition of fatherhood earthly fatherhood. It's meant to hold a place, supply a window into something much greater. It's meant to showcase, though imperfectly, the perfect fatherhood of heaven. It's meant to labor towards the handoff unto the capital F when he arrives. So in other words, it's preparing us that when the capital F, father, the true heavenly father is there, that the earthly father says, son, daughter, I want you to meet what this is really all about. I'm merely a temporary holder for this, for him. And it's meant to decrease in font size when the capital F arrives. So there's my dad. That's, that's my sister, and then that's me as a little baby. Uh, very rare uh, photos for anyone to see uh, in the Ellerslie world here. Uh, and I'm going to just go through, and I'm going to give some statements about my dad Again, I, I threw this together because I could not give my other message. That's, that's as simply put as I could make it. Uh, I, this is my meditation right now. My dad was always happy. Daddy was always ready for the adventure, eager to play the game, anticipating the next gathering. He loved gatherings. He loved special occasions. My, da- if, my dad's famous for his Christmas antics where he would be up the night before, like almost all night, setting up the house, filling the stockings, you could almost imagine him giggling the whole time. He just loved it so much, and uh, we used to uh, do skits uh, with with my dad because we would catch him, as legend has it, he would do that all in his underwear too, so i shouldn 't probably mention that in church, but my dad would you know sort of giggle and make his way around the house and you know, set all the stockings together yes, in his underwear. But that's part of the lore of my dad. You know, that's just part of our deep appreciation that he would be willing to risk such potential embarrassment for the love of his family. Uh, But he was always happy. Even, you know, I just saw him a little bit ago, and he's just always cheerful. He's just always ready for a, a good laugh. He's just always ready to give you a smile. So there's uh, a picture of my dad wrestling with us. I'm the one with my head straight down into the carpet uh, there. And so uh, those are great memories because my dad, I used to love to wrestle with my dad. You know, I never understood how, what an amazing technique you have to have as a dad to wrestle with your kids, you know, and not destroy your kids. I mean, if you think about that, you could really harm your kids if you don't know how to wrestle as as a father, but every good father sort of learns, you know, how to not wield their strength against their child, but to use their strength to flip them around, you know, and hold them on their foot and then on their head, you know, and things like that. It's an amazing skill. My dad had that skill. He was always there. Daddy was always there in his gold Toyota Tercel, his blue pinstriped blue suit. It said blue twice in that. Sorry, guys, this was quick. And his black wing-tipped shoes. So, As a soccer player, uh, my dad would not miss anything. I mean, even in the previous years, I remember when I was a wrestler for one year of my life and my dad was there at every wrestling match. And even when I wasn't, I didn't, there was this one time I remember he drove like two hours to make it to a wrestling match and I had been wrestled, I don't know what, I forgot what it's called, but wrestled out of my weight. I had never been beaten by anything like that, and some guy wanted to challenge me at my weight. I didn't even know, you know that he could do that. It was a new guy that had joined the team, and he beat me, and so my dad showed up, and I was sitting there the whole time. I, I, that's all that was on my mind the whole time my dad just drove two hours, and I came and wrestled wrestle for him. My dad was just always there, and he would. I remember when I was on the soccer uh, sidelines and we were waiting to start a game, and I would be looking for my dad, I don't know if, how many of you can identify with this, but if you said, Eric, who did you play for? I mean, it's so easy for me to answer that question. I played for my dad. And of course, it sounds a lot better if I said I played for Jesus, but this was sort of before I really had been changed by Jesus, right? And so I was a little drummer boy playing my best for my dad. And I would be looking on the you know whatever location I was for the gold tersel, my dad had that gold turd cell. It probably had three, four 400,000 miles on it, but he, he, was getting, you know, he was getting all his money out of that crazy little car. And you know, that gold turd cell would make its way into the parking lot, and my dad would get out straight from work, and he would be in his, his suit and his wingtip shoes, and he'd stand on the sideline. And he, his voice was the only voice I paid attention to. If the coach said, stay back, Lootie, and my dad said, go forward, I would go forward. And my dad was extremely biased too. You know, you know, if my if I ever got taken out of the game for anything, you'd hear my dad say something like, "Put Ludi in, put Ludi, and make it sound like it's coming from around." He'd like move to a different location. Put Ludi in. My dad was extremely biased. You know, he was convinced that I was the secret weapon for our team. <clears throat> but he was always there. So this is a picture of when Leslie and I, I think we'd just gotten engaged. Is that right, uh, in that picture? Up in the mountains, that's my dad right over my head. If you can even recognize me with my little curl in the front. Uh, and that's my mom next to me and my dad just over our heads. Uh, but a very special memory. I think it's Janet, Leslie's mom, taking the picture. So she's mysteriously absent, but that's both of our families. He was willing to do whatever it took Daddy was willing to get uncomfortable, willing to humble himself, and willing to leave everything he had worked for behind, in order to help his kids. So I just have a little short list of stories, and if you've gone through Ellerslie, my dad comes up a lot. Uh, but the love and kisses. So my dad struggled with affection from his own dad, and it always sort of wanted my 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 grandpa didn't know how to express love and affection. Didn't express it physically through hugs and kisses. And so my dad decided that he was going to change that. And so in our family, when I was growing up, uh, my dad would kiss me on the lips every night before I went to bed and say, I love you. And so that was my normal upbringing, right? That's just how it worked. And then, you know, in public school, you begin to find out that not all families uh, function the same. And there was some, I I must have caught wind of something to make me think that what my dad was doing in kissing me on the lips was not normal, okay? So I was probably around 11 is my guess, okay? And my dad came in to tuck me in at night, and he used to Tuck in the sides really tight, and so I would be like this. I loved that; it made me feel so secure. And I always liked to sleep in that little pocket on the side of the mattress that would be created because my dad tucked it in so tightly. I could literally find my way into that. See, some of you don't don't identify with these great memories. And but my dad leaned in to kiss me on the lips, and I pushed him away, and I said, "Don't do that." You know, I, I either said I'm too big for this, or you know, I don't want that. But I was trying to be the cool kid and I wanted to be like the other kids and I pushed my dad away. And Now, if you're a dad and you are in the situation my dad is in, where he's trying to overwrite a previous generation's behavior and he wants something different in his expression to his kids, but it's very easy to feel insecure as a dad and feel like you're doing it wrong. And so whatever I did pushed my dad away. And I knew my dad loved me, but he no longer kissed me and he no longer said it. And it wasn't that, you know, I I thought he didn't love me. Have you ever had something like that where it's just, but you just want to hear it. You just want to hear it sort of stated again. And so I was probably 22, and I was in the back of a church. I just remember the situation. My dad and I were standing next to each other, and there was some glass wall and some church service going on, and we were separate from it for some reason. I don't remember the reason. And I said to my dad, very awkwardly, I said, uh, could, you, could you tell me that you love me? So this has been, you know, we're talking like 11 years. Half of my life has gone without a clear statement in that regard. And my dad, and I totally understand it now. You know, it's like your wife asking you to say, you know, something sweet to her. And now suddenly you feel all bottled up because if you say anything, your wife's going to say, you only said that because I asked you to. <laughs> And so I felt like paral- well, I felt like now I understand that my dad was paralyzed. He didn't say anything, which, of course, you know, I'm telling myself, I'm fine. I don't need that. I know my dad loves me. This is ridiculous. I shouldn't have asked him for that. So a couple days later, I was out in Idaho visiting my grandparents, and someone says, "Hey, Eric, your dad's on the phone." I was like, my dad's on the phone. And so I came to the phone. I was like, "Hey." And he goes, <coughs> Eric, uh, I love you. That was all he said. And all I said was, thanks. And then we had one of these awkward man conversations where nothing's said, and you're just sort of both nodding, you know, on both ends of the line, and then, like, so, uh, yeah, okay, well, okay, goodbye. You know, it was one of those types of conversations. But I tell you what, it was gold for my soul. Understanding that my dad... I understand at a whole nother level what my dad was going through in that situation. And when I say that my dad was willing to do whatever it took for his kids, that's a statement that is very, very important in my soul because my dad did go through many trials and many challenges to invest in his kids. My dad was a successful businessman. And when Leslie and I wrote a book when we were first married and suddenly we were being invited all over the world, to speak we had no idea how to do this we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into and my dad recognized that we needed stability we needed someone to help with what we were going through and so my dad left his job and he basically said Eric I, yeah, I left my job I'm coming to work for you and if, oh, I didn't have pay or anything well that wasn't why he was coming he just came to serve so I have this dad who was a successful business executive leaving his job to come wash my feet. Still to this day, one of the most profound pictures of the gospel was my dad doing that. And, you know, so we, we find, you know, because he had nothing now. Now he'd, he'd left his career. So I remember us trying to uh, get some type of money going his way from what was happening. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget... Um, we had a crisis in our organization, which is quite a long story that doesn't fit the tribute for my dad. Well, it does. Maybe I will get into it, uh, but we lost everything, and we had to lay off everyone on our staff at the time, including my dad. My dad's not going anywhere, but we, the little amount we were paying him, we had to suddenly say, I am so sorry, we can't even pay you that. We have nothing. We had to sell everything and move in. Leslie's parents' basement. But it was a very, very challenging time. My dad stood by us uh, the entire while. Uh, So the risky call was when he called me in uh, Idaho. I have some things. For those of you getting this via podcast, I have the love and kisses as the first line, the risky call, and the four chairs. So uh, it was somewhere, I don't know, I, I was young 20s, 22, 23, in this same time period, my dad must have read a book, uh, and I, I just watched the Kendricks uh, documentary, uh, Show Us the Father. Their dad must have read the exact same book, okay? It's something about blessing your children. And so my dad went into the side room, disappeared for a couple days, and emerged with like a couple sheets of paper. He's not a very fast typist. Uh, and he, he didn't get the writing gene uh, in the family. But he set up four chairs in my parents' master bedroom, and he invited me in. He had a chair for my mom, he had a chair for me, he had a chair for himself, and he had a chair for a box of Kleenex. And I still remember walking in there trying to figure out what was going on, and I pointed at the box of Kleenex. I had never in my life seen my dad cry. And he basically simply said, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And... So this is that same dad who had had a tough time articulating and expressing his affection after I pushed him away. And he had been very successful in business, but as a result had traveled a lot of times when we had desired him home. And so the words which I don't have memorized, but you'll notice that I still know them fairly well, Eric, my son, I love you. I wasn't always there for you. And I would, I just want to seek your forgiveness for being gone at times when you needed me most. He said a very specific thing to me. Your lips are our lives. God has called you and anointed you to communicate. I didn't speak at that time at all, but something about my dad blessing me. He called me a man in that same thing. He called me a man. And it's it's interesting because... It's just like one of those statements, when did you know that you were a man? Well, the four chairs uh, night. Something profound took place in my soul as my dad spoke over me. And this is something that very few children have ever experienced, yet I tasted it. I tasted it from my father, and it was a gift that is hard to even describe its importance in my life. So I described the business assistant that he left everything and came to work for our ministry. So the four chairs was before I was married. The business assistant was right after we were married. There's a a picture. There's Hudson in the middle uh, looking really happy uh, there. And there's my dad. He was willing to suffer with those that suffered. I'll never forget the Wendy's parking lot. So in short, Leslie and I had lost everything in and through a, it was like the best way to describe it would be a con man that came and was working for our organization and was setting up our tour, and he set up a fake tour. So we had, I think it was 16 events, and we'd produced posters, bought plane tickets to come out to these events, and then we found out that the entire tour was fabricated, and it was all fake. But meanwhile, we, were, we spent everything plus. And so suddenly we had nothing and no events. And so my dad just sort of stood there with us through all of us, like, hey, I'm not leaving. I, I'm, I'm standing with you. And we had to sell everything, move into Leslie's parents' basement. It was a challenging time. Ironically, our first book hit the bestseller list at that exact time. And I still remember some, one of my friends coming up to me and saying, Eric, I'm really concerned about uh, you and, you know, getting an arrogant, proud attitude. Uh, and, you know, with having a, a bestseller. And I said, you know what, it's strange, but that's the last thing I'm struggling with right now. I'm, I'm more struggling on the opposite end of the spectrum, like I'm an absolute failure in life that I, I have to stay in my in-law's basement to survive. It was, a, it was a difficult season for us. And I remember we had this one event that was about, I want to say like six to eight months out, that was sort of our if you could call it this, our savior event. It was a mega event, like multiple thousands of people uh, up in the state of Washington. And just, you know, the book sales were gonna be the big thing uh, for us. And I still remember sitting down with my dad and strategizing, it's like, okay, if we can get this at this, that'll stabilize us. We could then make these decisions. So it was a a big event. And it was one of those things in life that you look back and you're like, okay, you never wanna put all your eggs in one basket, uh, like one event, one thing. And, but we had, we were in such a dire situation that all our eggs were ending up in that basket. So we didn't have any other basket to even, uh, or any other eggs uh, to go uh, hunting for. And so, long and short, this is give you a back uh, room look at the Christian industry with, you know, con men, uh, event coordinators, and then one of the bookstore chains, uh, they, they had come up to my dad. My dad was in charge of the book table, and that was his trust, and he took it very seriously. Talk about biased. He thought our books were the greatest books on earth. In fact, I don't want to, you know, pin my dad down, but he might have even thought they were better than the Bible. You know, that's how excited he was about them. But he was so excited for people to catch a vision for what we wrote about, what we did. And so, it was his trust, his territory, and this was a massive book table. This would have been one of those things where and it was a major event center that we were in, and we were the only, you know, the only one speaking, and it was our book table. So, you know, maybe like could be 10 tables, okay? It's a big deal, and a lot of product is going to be sold. And so this bookstore uh, owner comes to him and says, you know, hi, uh, Win. uh I've already worked it out with Eric that all the book table sales are going to go to me. And my dad's like, really? He goes, yes. It's, you know, I, I worked it out with Eric. This is part of the deal here. Uh, and so my dad trusted that if Eric had said that that's the way it was going to be, that that's the way it was going to be. This was literally right as people were arriving. So all of our sales went to uh, a bookstore chain instead of to us. And I remember sitting in a car in... This, this city, I'm trying to be as vague as I can, in this city, and I remember a Wendy's sign above my dad's head, and I was drive, I was in the parking lot in the driver's seat, and my dad was sitting next to me, and we were talking about the event, and my dad had the moment where he realized that he wasn't supposed to give this guy all the money, and now the only hope that we had financially was that money, and now someone else has it, and it was just... It was one of those heavy moments in your life where you feel like everything's falling to pieces, and my dad was just sort of trying to work through that, and I'm staring out the, the window, and I, you know, I'm not mad at my dad, and, but he can't help but pick up on the fact that Eric's not doing so hot right now, and so I still remember these words uh, with my dad's head right there. Wendy's sign above his head. I mean, it's strange what we remember in our life, right? And my dad says, if you go down, I'm going down with you. My dad was willing to identify with me in my weakness, not just in successes. I didn't feel like I had much success for him to identify with and to get excited about anyways. I wasn't a big... A uh, fan of my achievements, though my dad was. And my dad was willing to stand with me thick or thin, wealthy or impoverished, sickness or health. And that picture has meant a lot to me. And that one picture uh, of his head with the Wendy's sign above it, he liked Wendy's too. That's what's funny. So that does fit. Uh, he liked a frosty. He would always get a chocolate frosty. But it's very precious to me as a son. So that's my. <laughs> that's a great picture of my dad. Even though it doesn't look like it to some of you that don't know him, that's a certain face he would make when he was like, ah, ah, when he was like getting excited about something. And so I happened to catch it on the top of a sand dune in Michigan. And so for those of us that know my dad, that's a, that's a face that we recognize. For those of you that don't, you just, he just sort of looks like something might be a little off, uh, right? But the way he described it uh, as he was beginning to fade and his words were beginning to slur and his mind was starting to fog over is he said that he was climbing a great mountain and like Caleb took the giants down in Hebron he was going to take this mountain and one of the last things i th- from my sister that i think he even declared was that he had reached the top of the mountain and uh, i think that's that's a pretty cool imagery you know most of us have the valley of the shadow of death my dad had a mountain that he was climbing and i think that's a great description of my dad's life is it wasn't a sliding into uh, death, but it was a conquering. Uh, before he started to lose his his clarity, this all happened extremely fast. By the way, yesterday uh, on Christmas Day, I was talking with my sister, and uh, I knew that he had been sick, and we. I was planning on going out there as soon as possible. Uh, because he was, he was definitely beginning to have a downturn. And I said, so how's daddy doing today? And she goes, well, we believe he probably has a couple more hours. And I, it took me a long time to process through that one. And uh, so suddenness is a blessing in certain regards. Um, it forces processing at a very quick pace. Uh, But we had gotten a ticket for me to fly out today after the service. And I had decided last night I was going to do this message and then get it uploaded and have my dad listen to it. just in case I couldn't get there in time. But I really genuinely feel a triumph uh, in his passing. And it was not a premature loss. It's not a tragedy. It's a triumph. And I don't feel anything was lacking in what I said to my dad. My dad has heard me brag about him many times. I don't feel that there was any... Love unexpressed, any respect not, not spoken. And I cherish that as well as a gift of grace, God knowing how this was going to happen and me not. Uh, but I think if I could encourage any of us, if you're a father, I think there's an innate encouragement just born in this message, and that is don't, don't fumble the ball just carry this. Uh, you have an opportunity to influence kids. Unlike any person can influence those kids. There's something about a father's voice, something about a father's words, something about a father's time, something about a father's investment. And I just want to do this right, uh, with my kids. I have six little munchkins and I know this is a hard day for them too, to lose uh, grandpa who they dearly love. Uh, and uh, yet, I, I want us all to just freshly have that resolve to be more present, to be more uh, purposeful, and uh, to climb that mountain well. Winston R. Ludi, August 15, 1942. To December 26, 2021, a father the way a father should be. Father, thank you for my earthly father. Thank you that I had a father that did it right. And Lord, you've entrusted me with a vision. You've entrusted me with a great responsibility to do it right as well. Lord, there's so many, maybe even in this room, are listening to this message that have had more pain than beauty in the arena of fatherhood. But Lord, I pray that for those that are lacking a father, or those that did not have a present father, or those that did not have a father that nurtured and showed affection, Lord, you are such a father how much more so are you the father that we all need? And so Lord, where there is a void, I pray that you would be a father to the fatherless. Where there is a void of affection, I pray that you'd be the affectionate father to those that do not have an affectionate father. Where there is a void of a present father, I pray that you would be a present father to us. Where there is a void of a communicative blessing father, a father that speaks life and that speaks encouragement and that uh, calls a boy into manhood and a girl into womanhood. Lord, where that is missing, I pray that you would fill the void and be that expressing blessing father unto those that do not have it. Lord, for those that are here right now that need just a fresh grace to rise up and remember their own children and to invest at a higher level, and to not take for granted the time we do have here on this earth, I pray that they would be freshly encouraged. Lord, I thank you for the 51 years that I had with my father. Tomorrow would have been the 57th wedding anniversary for my parents. I thank you for that model of faithfulness and trueness in marriage for godliness and life, forgiveness and fatherhood. And Lord, we cherish these examples because they are rare in our day and age. And we say thank you for them. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.